Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes mention of suicide that some people may find offensive. We advise caution for children under 13. Sacramento Sheriff's Detective Mike Wright wasn't sure what to believe when he received a tip about two men planning a kidnapping. It sounded far-fetched, but he kept an open mind as he reached for the phone to call the alleged conspirator, private investigator William Calder. On the phone, the sheriff adopted an undercover persona. He convinced Calder that he was a lowlife who would be an asset to the kidnapping scheme. Calder soon revealed the plot to nab some guy named Thomas Heidel, tie him up and torture him for information. The sheriff's pulse quickened when he realized Calder was serious. As much as it may have sounded like a bad novel, Calder seemed ready to go through with it. He intended to carry out his scheme the very next day, April 23, 2005. Strangest of all, Calder kept saying he was acting on behalf of some religious cult. Members of this group apparently believed Heidel had stolen their money and they wanted it back. The sheriff had never heard of the group, but by their name alone, he wouldn't have pegged that they'd be mixed up in some violent kidnapping plot. They sounded more like New Age hippies. They called themselves Miracle of Love. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Last week, we talked about the followers of David Swanson, also known as Gorasana, who established a religious organization called Miracle of Love. He borrowed many of his theological ideas from Hinduism and the Hare Krishna movement, with one major exception. He believed himself to be the incarnation of God. He convinced others of his divinity as well, including some very wealthy individuals who handed their fortune over to him. This week, we'll talk about how David's wife, Kalindi, took over the cult after his death in 1995. We'll discuss how she turned his spiritual teachings into a lucrative business enterprise and how the line of succession has continued to this day. We'll have all of this and more coming up. Stay with us. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts. In 1995, David Swanson, also known as Garasana, died of an illness at only 45 years old. 
His hundreds of followers mourned the loss of the man they'd called the Vessel of God since 1987. Lucky for them, Garasana didn't leave them helpless. He had left his group with a natural successor, his wife, 40-year-old Kalindi. Assisted by her first disciple, who went by the name The Lady, Kalindi soon established a strict hierarchy within the group. She sat on top, while those who had been with her the longest, like the lady, were next in the chain of command. Each one had earned this authority by following Garasana while he lived. This gave them an advantage nobody else on earth had. They could speak with confidence about God's will because they had heard it directly from his mouth. After Garasana's death, Kalindi wanted to make sure to keep his teachings alive. In 1996, she developed the Garasana meditation process which she claimed would foster healing and a connection to God. As a fairly intense form of meditation, it sometimes involved screaming sessions, crying, writhing on the floor, or hours-long dancing sessions to blaring music. Later that year, the group was granted a trademark for this phrase, giving Miracle of Love the exclusive right to promote the Garasana meditation practice and securing a source of income. Kalindi also made plenty of money from her followers, who she frequently pressed for donations. But she anticipated more opportunities for growth as she looked to the future. She wanted to pave the way for a successful enterprise. Expansion became a major focus of the group in the mid to late 1990s. Beyond their San Diego headquarters, they established centers throughout the United States, in Colorado, North Carolina, and Arizona, as well as abroad. Kalindi sent trusted disciples to these new centers to oversee their mission and recruitment efforts. Meanwhile, she kept a watchful eye on her flock of several hundred followers close to home. To outsiders, she may have seemed like a self-assured leader and a welcoming presence. She reached out to people in need. Some were grappling with feelings of loneliness or emptiness. Others didn't feel like they fit in with mainstream society, including members of the LGBT community. Some were struggling to get past bad relationships or childhood trauma. Kalindi took them all under her wing and looked out for their spiritual welfare. She promised them a path to God, but those drawn to Miracle of Love discovered that this wasn't an easy journey. They were asked to turn their money and possessions over to group leaders to free themselves from material attachments. Kalindi also set a highly rigid lifestyle for her followers. One anonymous former member said that once she moved into a communal house, they had to eat the same food, wake up at the same time, write on a board where you go and when you come back, and participate in the daily meditation. In the name of fostering mindfulness, members were required to write regular letters to their house leader to explain their thoughts, feelings, and activities throughout the day. To further encourage mindfulness, each member was also partnered with a buddy. Buddies ostensibly were there to guide and nurture each other through the enlightenment process. However, according to a former member, they also had a sinister angle. They existed to keep each other in check and spy on each other. A venting partner is fulfilling the function of containing your anger, doubts, and critical thinking before it spills out into the group, infecting other people. And even if you could trust your buddy, those relationships were often upended. Members were shuffled among various houses, forced to move and regroup multiple times. They were discouraged from forming close friendships because Miracle of Love's philosophy demanded that people let go of their worldly attachments, including those to other people. Vanessa is going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or a psychiatrist, but we have done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. 
researchers Umri Gelat of the University of Kansas and Lucas Kiefer of the University of Dayton explored the effects of frequent relocation in a 2016 paper. The authors cited studies indicating that people who move constantly become more likely to see relationships as disposable. They become so accustomed to leaving people behind that it becomes difficult for them to form more meaningful social ties. Because of this, their relationships are more likely to be superficial. This worked to Kalindi's advantage. She didn't want her followers to have strong relationships with anyone other than her. In her ideal world, she was the only person that mattered, and she made sure that her followers wouldn't forget it. To solidify that, she required members to participate in daily meditations, and also requested that they set an alarm on their watches to go off once every hour. She wanted to make sure they could stop whatever they were doing and focus on prayer and the path to God. During these meditations and moments of prayer, followers had to chant the name Kalindi or Gorasana over and over again. To them, she became their guiding mantra, their path to salvation. The group even developed hymnals set to the music of songs like Kumbaya, but with new lyrics using Kalindi and Gorasana's names. In many respects, her followers truly came to understand Kalindi as the voice of God after Gorasana's death. She used her significant influence over them to dictate all aspects of their lives. Kalindi said where they should live, whether they should divorce their spouse or break off a friendship. She even ruled over superficial things like their hairstyles, clothing, and which household products to buy. Some of Kalindi's rules seemed arbitrary and cruel even to her close admirers. Her edicts often changed on a whim, and sometimes they seemed to hurt the group rather than help. Throughout the 90s, Miracle of Love had welcomed members of the LGBT population, but in 1998, Kalindi abruptly changed the organization's policy and banned LGBT individuals from the program. Anybody who wished to stay in the group had to disavow their LGBT identity. This new policy not only alienated LGBT individuals, but also their many allies among Kalindi's followers. It's not clear why Kalindi wanted to push her supporters away. Perhaps this was simply a way for her to flex her dominance over her devotees. She wanted to show them that, like it or not, she made all the decisions, and there was nothing they could do about it. These rash actions might explain why the group never swelled to more than a few hundred members, perhaps a thousand at most. There may have been high turnover, with many people leaving when they couldn't sustain the group's restrictive lifestyle. Still, Kalindi worked hard to draw in recruits to replace the ones she lost and fill the organization's coffers. She and other high-ranking members, like the lady, attracted people by throwing innocuous social events at local venues, such as breakfast parties and dance evenings. Once they had an audience, they launched into their sales pitch for their meditation classes and workshops. They used these educational opportunities to advertise their special seminars, modeled off the ones first developed by Garasana in the early 1990s. Kalindi called her six-day seminar The Intensive. The group charged as much as $1,500 per person to attend. They spent these seminars forcing participants to share and relive their most traumatic memories. When attendees became distraught, group members bombarded them with affection and offered up Garasana's teachings as a way to escape their past suffering. Miracle of Love advertised these sessions as an opportunity for spiritual advancement, but they weren't always honest about the kind of spirituality they were promoting. At times, Kalindi reportedly told members to pass themselves off as Christians, 
She even advised them to wear crosses around their necks to make their messages more palatable and familiar to audiences unfamiliar with concepts of rebirth and transcendence. It's not clear whether Kalindi's deceptive practices helped the group's recruitment efforts in any real way, but they demonstrate that she was shrewdly focused on the group's image. This was a significant shift from Kalindi's open-minded outlook of her youth in the 60s. By the late 1990s, Kalindi had money, power, and a solid foothold in communities all around the globe. Perhaps she had come to see that there were certain advantages to being part of the material world. If pretending to be Christian and blending in with everyone else helped Kalindi grow her empire, then she was willing to do it. She had acquired everything a person could want, and she had no intention of letting it slip away. Up next, internal feuds over finances disrupt Kalindi's empire. Massive spiders, fierce crocodiles, violent kangaroos. With all of the dangers lurking within Australia, one species remains feared above the rest. Humans. Hi listeners, it's Alastair from Parcast, and I'm hosting a new Spotify original called Crime Down Under. Every Sunday on Spotify, take a trip to the oldest continent for some of the most shocking true crime cases in modern history. Featuring a compilation of episodes from shows across Parcast Network, Crime Down Under exposes the vicious serial killers, mysterious disappearances, and terrifying crime families whose stories still stop Aussies dead in their tracks. From the beaches and deserts to the cities and suburbs, the land down under may be vast, but the horrors are hiding around every corner. Catch a new episode of Crime Down Under every Sunday. Listen free only on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Now back to the story. In the late 1990s, Miracle of Love leader Kalindi was in her early 40s. There are no records of her working or holding down a traditional job, yet she lived in luxury due to the generous donations of wealthy group members. But purchasing property and setting up Miracle of Love centers around the world was a costly endeavor. Kalindi's group eventually burned through much of their donated funds as they entered the new millennium. In one 2003 IRS form, the group reported assets of $674,520. But that wasn't much compared to the $10 million fortune they reportedly amassed a decade prior. It certainly wasn't enough to keep Kalindi in the standard of living she had grown accustomed to. 
One former member said, Her lifestyle was very expensive, and I can't recall how many times we gathered together to collect money to fund a new house for her or anything else she'd like to have. Another former member said, A lot of people there are living paycheck to paycheck. There are doctors and lawyers and CEOs who have no money. Over time, they've given away everything. Many of them believe the sacrifice was necessary and all part of letting go of their earthly attachments and preparing for the heavenly plane. But for some of them, the cost became too much to bear. Giving up their life savings seemed too risky for these followers, but they were still desperate for Kalindi's spiritual guidance. They didn't want to lose everything, nor did they want to live without the voice of God, so they tried to have it both ways. In the early 2000s, they sought help from another Miracle of Love follower, a financial advisor from Grants Pass, Oregon, named Thomas Ernst Heidel. It's not clear why they chose Heidel, since he didn't have a stellar reputation. Authorities previously charged him with the possession of child pornography, and he later received a 27-month sentence. Regardless, several wealthy Miracle of Love members approached Heidel with a proposal. They asked him to take their collective funds of $3.8 million and invest the money. Many felt that if the money was hidden, they couldn't be guilted by Kalindi into handing it over. Unfortunately for them, Heidel took their money and promptly lost it. He later claimed that he had made some bad investment choices, but he also admitted that he spent some of the money on himself. Those who had trusted him with their money were infuriated. They didn't buy his claim that the money had vanished. They thought the fortune must have been hidden somewhere abroad, and they were willing to go to any lengths to recover the lost funds. Nineteen Miracle of Love members hired a private investigator named William Lindsay Calder to go after Heidel and figure out where he had stashed their money. Calder took the job. However, his methods didn't appear to be above board. He enlisted a colleague based out of Sacramento named Kevin Westman to help shake Heidel down. But their plan wasn't just about intimidating Heidel. Apparently, they formed a plot to kidnap and torture Heidel until he gave up the account information they were looking for. Calder talked about how he planned to nab Heidel while he was visiting his daughter in San Diego. They reportedly expected him to stop in Sacramento on the way. Once they had kidnapped Heidel, they were going to bind him with duct tape, incapacitate him with a stun gun, and transport him to a safe house to carry out the torture. It's not clear whether the Miracle of Love members who hired Calder knew about his scheme. Either way, the PI's plan soon unraveled. First, Calder and Westman shared the kidnapping plot with a former colleague who they hoped might assist them with the abduction. Instead, they informed the police. Unbeknownst to Calder and Westman, the friend scheduled a phone introduction with an undercover detective named Mike Wright. Wright then reached out to Calder and Westman, where he was able to obtain critical information about the planned kidnapping. The officer recorded Calder and Westman. Once they stated their intentions, he obtained a warrant for their arrest. They were each charged with a single count of solicitation to kidnap. They pleaded no contest, and Calder was sentenced to a year in jail. Both of the men were handed a five-year probation. There were no reports of any arrests of the cult members who hired Calder nor were there records of any charges against Heidel for stealing the money in the first place. Calder later claimed he never would have gone through with the torture, but he said, In my zeal to recover my client's funds, I crossed a line. 
It's not clear how much of this strange plot Kalindi was aware of, or how this internal conflict affected the miracle of love, but this wasn't the only financial drama the group dealt with around this time. While some of her followers employed shady figures to get their money back, others tried to recover their finances in more legitimate ways. One elderly Miracle of Love follower enlisted help from the legal aid of Marin after she gave $260,000 to a fellow cult member. It's not clear who she gave the money to, but they said they could help her invest the funds. Unfortunately, after encouraging her to cash in an annuity, he used the money to purchase bad stocks, and the money disappeared. Roy Chernes, the executive director of Legal Aid of Marin, helped the elderly woman recover $30,000. Despite this bit of success, Chernes felt concerned about the strange financial situation going on within the group. Chernes said, It's not necessarily the organization that's perpetuating the fraud. I just remain very suspicious that some of the money may have found its way back to the leaders of this group. Despite Chernus's fears, the elderly member didn't blame Miracle of Love for her misfortune. She believed the person she'd trusted was acting on their own, and not on behalf of Kalindi or anyone else. And as far as we know, she remained a member of Miracle of Love. Perhaps she found it easier to believe Kalindi was blameless than to confront the possibility that she had been deceived. The idea of leaving the cult may have just felt too traumatic for her to consider. Numerous studies have described the difficulties people experience when leaving a cult, not just due to fear or intimidation by other members, but also because of the psychological trauma leaving itself causes. Licensed counselors Dr. Cynthia Matthews and Dr. Carmen Salazar discussed this distress in a 2014 paper published in the International Journal for the Advancement of Counseling. She wrote that after escaping a cult, former members often tend to experience feelings of betrayal and loss of trust, grief over lost years while in the group, loss of group support, and loss of connection to members, friends, and family who remain in the group. Some cult members, like Chernus's elderly client, likely didn't have the strength to face the negative ramifications of leaving the group. But for others, incidents like the Heidel fiasco were the last straw. Around the mid-2000s, dozens of followers left the fold. Kalindi, the lady, and the rest of the leadership tried to discourage this exodus by telling followers that horrible things would happen to them if they left. They said those leaving would suffer forever in infinite lifetimes. But for those who had lost their faith, these words were hollow. They moved on from Miracle of Love. They found new communities with the rise of internet message boards and online support groups. Within these groups, users commiserated about the trauma they endured with the miracle of love. Some described controlling and overbearing leadership, verbal abuse, and harassment. Others hinted about even darker events swept under the rug. In one forum hosted by the Cult Education Institute, a poster with the handle MOL Victim talked about a youth-intensive educational seminars created for teenage members of Miracle of Love. Unlike the adult version, the events were reserved for minors whose parents were already members. MOL Victim described it as structured similar to the adult intensive, in which attendees were required to rehash their darkest memories and traumas to move past them. They felt these sessions were particularly damaging for vulnerable teens who were already going through the emotional turmoil of adolescence. 
they went on to allege that two adolescents whose parents were a part of the group had died by suicide around the time of the intensive. The poster also accused the group of allowing teens to have wild parties with drugs, sex, and minimal supervision. Such activities were celebrated as free expression of the divine being. These serious accusations were nearly impossible to verify, but the other story seemed credible, given that so many former members shared similar accounts. So MOL victims' accusations have to be considered. Other participants on the forum also wrote freely about the Miracle of Love leader's role in the financial losses caused by supposed bad investments. Venting these suspicions online became a cathartic outlet for many former Miracle of Love members. But these internet groups weren't just a place for people to speculate and share insight. Some critics saw these anonymous boards as an opportunity to cause real damage to the group's leadership. One of these critics was a man named Michael Greasley, who identified himself as a former BBC News correspondent. He became interested in the group after finding a Yahoo forum for former members. Once Greasley started researching Miracle of Love, he somehow gained access to the cult's internal files. These files contained hundreds of documents with names, contact information, meeting notes, and transcripts. Greasley downloaded scores of these files and posted many of the documents on the Yahoo message board. Yahoo eventually took these files down in response to a privacy complaint, but not before several users had seen them. The documents provided a rare glimpse into the inner workings of Miracle of Love, such as the names and specific duties of each leader. Greasley sent the documents to the BBC and several other UK media outlets. None of these platforms seemed interested. However, he caught the attention of a few journalists in California where Miracle of Love was headquartered. In the wake of the incident, reporter Jill Kramer from the San Diego City Beat spoke to several former members about the group's manipulative practices. These individuals were candid about their experiences with Miracle of Love and its leadership. One member, identified as Sheila, said, I now think Kalindi is nuts. As far as I can tell, she doesn't really care about anybody. It's possible that the leaders actually think of it as a scam. Gosh, everybody was giving a lot of money. People passed out their retirement savings to give it to the mission. So I don't know who's lying, who's malicious, and who's insane. Throughout all these problems, the group declined to comment to the press, but they may have felt the increased pressure from the attention. Later in 2006, Kalindi relocated their main home base from San Diego to Colorado Springs. Perhaps they wanted to escape the media scrutiny they received in California. They purchased eight houses in the area and began moving some of their highest-ranking members over to their new community. Though they seemed to be experiencing turmoil within, leaders made sure to keep up the appearance that all was well. The group had experienced many setbacks, but they weren't defeated. While they weathered bad publicity in a few West Coast newspapers and internet message boards, these critiques didn't gain widespread traction. As a result, most of the public remained ignorant about the group. Which was good for 52-year-old Kalindi. The leader, her top disciples, and their several hundred followers around the country were busy preparing for the launch of a recruitment campaign called Come to God. For this campaign, Kalindi wanted to increase the group's media presence. They planned to book more television appearances and up their appearances in New Age festivals and conferences. Using the continued donations of wealthy members, they also hoped to establish new communities in more cities across the United States and Europe. But she didn't realize that her time at the top was coming to an end. 
Up next, Miracle of Love reckons with another sudden loss. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Now back to the story. In 2006, Miracle of Love had been active for nearly 20 years. For more than half of that time, 51-year-old Kalindi remained the unquestioned head of the organization, leading several hundred disciples. Followers worshipped her as the voice of God and the only path toward salvation. She claimed that she could teach her followers meditation practices that would help them find peace and enlightenment. Kalindi presented herself as an enlightened, divinely inspired guru who held the secrets of the universe. The success of the group depended on her maintaining this image. But this projection of authority and insight may have been just an illusion. In reality, Kalindi was reportedly becoming more paranoid and sensitive to criticism. Unfortunately for Kalindi, condemnation wasn't going to stop. In 2007, the International Cultic Studies Association hosted its annual conference in Brussels. One of the panels was devoted to Miracle of Love. Two of the speakers had personal ties to the group and talked at length about Kalindi's indoctrination and intimidation efforts. Before this conference, only a few local journalists in California had taken any public steps to criticize the group. But the ICSA presentation helped raise awareness among an international audience of professionals and cult researchers. It's not clear how Miracle of Love responded to this exposure, but Kalindi grew increasingly reclusive around this time. She became less available to followers, at times only communicating with her closest disciples, like the Lady. It may be that the increased negative attention from the outside world was too much for her. According to FBI agent and human behavior expert Joe Navarro, a common trait of cult leaders is the inability to accept criticism. In an interview with IB Times UK, he said, The rejection of scrutiny is the first characteristic of a cult and of its leader. They do not like to be examined and are convinced nothing is wrong with them. In their mind, it is the rest of the world who has a problem. Kalindi thought she deserved adoration. She must have been deeply distressed to receive condemnation instead, enough to make her step out of the spotlight she had previously craved. However, there may have been another explanation for her withdrawal. By the late 2000s, her health declined. 
As with her late husband, Garasana, Kalindi chose to be secretive about any illnesses. Nobody but a select few knew of her deteriorating conditions. So it came as a shock to much of the Miracle of Love community when Kalindi died from complications of renal failure on April 18, 2010, at 55 years old. In a blog post, one former member wrote, Kalindi's departure doesn't bring tears to my eyes. However, I am sorry she died like she did, and I am sorry for her daughter and the few hundred disciples around the world who will feel lost, disoriented, in pain, and questioning. The Miracle of Love leadership certainly seemed to anticipate an outpouring of grief following Kalindi's death, and they knew that their followers would need some outlet for their feelings. Shortly after Kalindi died, her daughter Maha hosted a 12-day celebration honoring her mother. Leaders assured their followers that Kalindi wasn't gone. Only her physical body had departed. Her spiritual power was still available and would continue to be available for centuries to come. With Kalindi's ascendance to meet her husband in the heavenly plane, Miracle of Love still needed leadership on Earth. Fortunately, their rigid power hierarchy made the transition relatively simple. After Kalindi's death, her first disciple, known as the Lady, stepped into power. The former schoolteacher couldn't resist the calling to spiritual leadership. The group's founder, David Swanson, thought of himself as an incarnation of God, and Kalindi called herself the Voice of God. Emulating them, the Lady told her followers that God's direct presence and power existed within her. In her bio on the Miracle of Love website, the lady claimed to carry on the spiritual lineage passed on from Garasana and Kalindi. She had a slightly different style of leadership than her forebears. While Garasana and Kalindi put most of their emphasis on meditation, the lady devoted her energy toward prayer. She described her approach to prayer as transformational, although it mostly seemed to involve rewriting traditional Christian prayers, which she revised to honor Garasana instead of Jesus. Apparently, the lady had enough charisma to make these prayers seem inspiring. Under her leadership, Miracle of Love continued to grow, fueled by the contributions of new members. It's not clear what their exact membership number is. However, over 5,000 people currently follow their social media pages. In the years after Kalindi's death, new centers opened. This time, though, likely to distance themselves from any negative reporting, many went under different names. The main Miracle of Love website was even retitled the Center for the Golden One. Some former members expressed a hope that the lady might be a more responsible, less manipulative leader than her predecessors. One blog reported that she had tried to reform the group and make it less cult-like and destructive. But critics felt that many of the abusive and deceptive practices remained in place. Even after Kalindi's death, the group continued to draw media attention for their controversial methods. In February 2011, Dutch journalist Alberto Stegeman aired a nearly hour-long television special on the group. For the program, a reporter went undercover to attend an intensive seminar. Following this experience, she recounted the group's repeated attempts to isolate her and pressure her into joining them. Some of the reporting was disturbing. Hidden camera footage showed recruiters putting attendees in a highly vulnerable state, even asking them to strip naked at one point before pushing the miracle of love theology. Still, the TV special didn't make a major impact outside of the Netherlands. Since that 2011 special, there has been little follow-up reporting on the group. They continue to operate in relative secrecy to this day. 
Their website lists Denver, Colorado as their current home base. It also mentions physical centers and active communities in Germany, Switzerland, Iceland, Australia, Argentina, Chile, Colombia, Panama, Costa Rica, and Honduras. Aside from these physical locations, the group currently streams meditations online two or three times per week and uses social media for greater outreach. It's clear that after almost 35 years, the group remains active. On the surface, they seem to offer guidance on how to live a more spiritual life, similar to any number of New Age and wellness movements. For much of its history, the group has been able to keep up this innocent appearance. But every so often, a journalist or former member reveals a much more alarming truth. Miracle of Love claims to offer a path to God, but enlightenment proved elusive for many individuals who walked down that road. Having given up everything, they only found emptiness. Thanks again for tuning into Cults. We'll be back next Tuesday with another episode. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Cults is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Cults was written by Christina Pamies, with writing assistance by Robert Tyler Walker, fact-checking by Amber Hurley, and research by Brian Petrus and Chelsea Wood. Cults stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. Hi there, it's Alastair from Parcast. You may have heard of the Somerton Man, Azaria Chamberlain, or the Wonder Beach Murders. But do you know the whole terrifying truth? Be sure to check out my new series, Crime Down Under, where we travel to the land down under to explore the most shocking true crime cases in Australian history. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Crime Down Under, and catch a new episode every Sunday, free and only on Spotify. Spotify.